Hello, this is Malia Warner. Welcome to Power Principles, the podcast. I want to wish everyone good luck getting back to school. It has been interesting this summer finding quiet times to record with my crew of five coming and going, but it has been so great to have them here and I'm really going to miss my daytime company, although not for the first week, right? Moms, are we all ready for that first few days of quiet when we can actually run the remote control and choose what we want to watch? And maybe you'll find you'll finally have some peace and quiet that you can listen to your favorite podcasts. So if you've missed Power Principles for the summer series, never fear. All of the episodes are available on the website, maliawarner.com slash podcasts, and also on your favorite podcast app. Today is episode 31, Lies of the Magpie, chapter 9. Lies of the Magpie, chapter 9. The memory of Kate and Danny as toddlers makes me smile. I tried to remember some of the funny things they said and did to take my mind off these cursed contractions while I drive. I think of our family when it was just the four of us. Two parents, two children. What a lovely balance. At age three, Danny discovered the why did the chicken cross the road joke and began making up his own versions, which never made sense, but the way his face lit up when he told them made me laugh anyway. Mom, 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 he'd say to get my attention. Why is an elephant too big to walk in the street? Why, Danny? I'd ask. Because a car will hit him. At first, when Kate began to pray, she whispered her prayer so quietly we could barely hear her. But when she turned three, her confidence showed up and she began praying as loudly as possible. Amen, Kate, we'd say, wondering when and how such a quiet girl had developed a belting voice. Thinking about her prayers reminds me of how she sings in church. A few weeks ago, the primary children sang for Mother's Day. One child was obviously singing louder and a little bit ahead of everyone else. The congregation was smiling and laughing quietly, including me. All of my life, I have listened to the primary children sing for Mother's Day in church, and it's always guaranteed to bring a smile. Then, all of a sudden, I became aware that the child everyone was smiling about was mine. The realization hit me potently. I was a mother. I had a child singing in the church Mother's Day program. The memory rekindles the emotions and I begin laughing and crying at the same time. Truthfully, I've been laughing or crying since Phoenix. This contraction rips me down the middle, followed by another and another in quick succession. These contractions are not going away. They're getting stronger, lasting longer, and coming closer together. What if this is the real thing? What if the contractions don't go away? What if this baby is coming today? If I call Aaron right now, he could probably make it to the Tucson hospital in time. Do I call Aaron or keep driving and see if these contractions stop? How can I decide what to do? It's impossible for me to tell if these contractions are the real thing or not. I don't think I can endure this pain much longer. I really shouldn't be driving. I wish someone were here with me. I desperately want to call for help. There is only one person who can talk me off this ledge. Toughen up, girlfriend, Laya tells me without apology. This happens to you every pregnancy. 
these contractions feel real, they will rage for a few hours, but they will go away. You have to be stronger than your body. What if this baby is coming now? Aaron would never forgive me. You can cave in. Call Aaron. Miss the conference. Laya speaks with a do what you want, it doesn't bother me tone. But I know you, and you'll regret it. If this is your last chance to achieve a perfect pregnancy and delivery and you mess it up, you'll spend the rest of your regretful life wondering what if and wishing for a do-over. Laya always says exactly what I need to hear. I have to be brave and stop second-guessing myself. I've been through this before. If I'm being completely honest, the reason I signed up for this music conference wasn't about becoming a better piano teacher. The truth is that I knew if I was going to make it through the raging contractions my body likes to throw at me the last few weeks of pregnancy, I would need something big to distract me from the false labor and keep me from wimping out and going to the hospital. I would never admit this to Aaron, but this is why, six months ago, when I opened my mailbox and found an invitation to attend the music teachers conference from June 4th through the 6th, I counted weeks on the calendar and sent in my registration. This conference would be the perfectly timed distraction in a location far away from a shadowing fretful husband, away from telephoning mothers, and far away from the remotest option of an injection of Pitocin followed by a lovely epidural. Another contraction threatens to snap my spine in half. Ah, ouch, oh, that definitely did something. I feel my inside shift and drop. I want an epidural, I shout. Get a grip, Laya commands. You don't want to be one of those women who weasels her way out of the last tough weeks of pregnancy by going to the hospital and begging for Pitocin. These contractions are not real. These contractions are not real. I chant and bounce up and down in the driver's seat. The baby is not coming now. These contractions will go away. There is one last thing Laya needs to say to seal the deal and keep me from giving up. She has reminded me about it hundreds of times over the past two years, but I need to hear it from her one more time. She doesn't disappoint. Malia, she says, hang in there. You do not want a repeat of what happened with Tanner. Laya goes on to give me a perfect play-by-play from that April day two years ago. I shudder as the memories unfold. I do not want a repeat of what happened with Tanner. For Kate's birth, we had driven 30 minutes to a hospital in Glendale, Arizona, because our nearest hospital only offered geriatric services. Its typical patient kept the morgue and morticians busy, but there were no baby cribs. However, In early 2003, the Delhi Webb Memorial Hospital in Sun City West finished building a state-of-the-art women's wing, complete with obstetric services and an entire floor dedicated to labor and delivery. I had found a new OB named Dr. Woods. He was extremely kind and gentle. Rumors were that he was gay, so I was curious why he chose a career that put him constantly in contact with female anatomy. Five months into my third pregnancy, Erin and I took a guided tour of the new facility. Is that a Bose sound system? 
Aaron asked our tour guide. Yes, she answered proudly. Every room has a DVD player with a sound system, and every bathroom has its own jetted tub. It was like a five-star resort for bloated women. This almost makes me want to have a baby, Aaron said. I punched him in the shoulder. When are you due? The tour guide asked. May 9th, I answered. Then we'll see you in May. In mid-April, I was stretched out on my bed with a watch, notebook, and pencil timing contractions, which were lasting two to three minutes and coming at five-minute intervals. I grimaced as the tightening peaked, tears pooling in my eyes. I wondered if I should cancel my afternoon piano lessons. I could hardly imagine teaching through this pinching. Okay, Johnny, repeat the second phrase. <sighs> pant, pant, breathe, grimace. I want to hear sharp staccato no ouch, and <sighs> don't, ooh, don't skip the rests. You cannot go to the hospital yet, Lia said. You have three weeks left. It had been three days of this constant abdominal pulling. I wanted to curl into a ball and pull my hair out. I can't do this any longer. Chill out. Lia bounced down from the nightstand and pranced around the room, smoothing her hair, touching up her powder. If you go to the hospital now, they will admit you, give you Pitocin, and get the baby here. That sounded tempting. Don't be a wimp, Lia criticized. After your less-than-stellar performances with Danny and Kate, you need to score an A-plus on this baby delivery. This is your chance to prove to Aaron that you're a strong woman, that you can carry a baby to full term. I made note of the contraction duration on the paper, then gasped for breath, dropping the notebook and folding over myself. Oh, it hurts so bad! Anything less, and Aaron will be disappointed with you. Lia jumped off the bed. By the way, it's 1.50. Linda will be here for lessons in five minutes. I rolled off the bed and dropped to the floor on purpose. It felt better to writhe against the carpet. On my hands and knees, I stared at the floor and breathed. Bracing my arm against the bed, I pushed myself to standing, leaned over with my hands on my knees, and continued to breathe. The doorbell rang. I rubbed the mascara from beneath my eyes and ran my fingers through my hair. I took a deep breath and opened the door. Linda, I smiled. Come on in. No baby yet, she asked kindly. Nope, we've got three more weeks to go. I mustered up a cheerful voice. That night, Aaron hung up the phone and turned to me. My parents are going to fly down on Friday. They both have a day off for the Easter weekend. The baby isn't due for three weeks, I reminded him. He shook his head. You are not going to make it three more weeks. I gritted my teeth. Yes, I am, I said to myself. Then out loud, they're welcome to come, but I hate to have them miss meeting the baby. I'm not going to go to the hospital just because they are here. We picked up Aaron's parents and arrived back home for dinner. Between bites of chicken, Danny asked, How old are you, Grandma? I'm 48, Grandma said. Kate answered, No thanks, I already ate. Aaron and I looked at each other. Then I turned to his mother. I swear Kate can't hear, but I've asked at every pediatrician's appointment, and they say she's fine. On that Saturday morning of Easter weekend, Aaron and I lined up with Danny and Kate on the dirt beyond center field of the spring training stadium. 
The perimeter of the ball field was packed with parents and kids holding baskets and waiting for the Easter Bunny standing on the pitcher's mound to signal the start of the egg hunt. There must have been 20,000 people in the park. This is ridiculous, I told Aaron. I guarantee you there will be at least 20 lost kids when this is done. The bunny dropped its arm and the kids shot off like cannons. Kate sprinted for center field, outrunning the other three and four-year-olds. In no time, the green field was dotted with hunched forms picking through the grass for prizes. Panting and holding onto my round belly, I ran behind Kate, trying not to step on eggs, candy, or children's hands. At last, the buzzer rang, indicating the end of the hunt for this age group. You okay? Aaron asked, meeting back up with me, holding onto Danny's arm. I'm fine, I said, trying to hide my heavy breathing. Next year, let's remember to bring leashes or tracking devices. Okay, guys, let's see the goods. Aaron looked through the kids' baskets. Don't forget to pay your daddy taxes. Danny and Kate sifted for their least favorite candy pieces and held them up for Aaron and me. Aaron's dad took off his hat, wiped his forehead with his sleeve, and held his hat out, accepting donations. Grandpa will eat anything you don't want. He ended up with three saltwater taffy pieces, a cinnamon gumball, and anything root beer flavored. Come with Grandpa, he said. I'll take you to ride the train. Danny and Kate grabbed his hands and followed him up the stadium steps. Aaron's mom put her arm around my shoulder. You doing okay? I had sweat stains in the arms of my pink-striped maternity blouse. The elastic waistband of my white capris was drenched. I'm good. Let's go stand in front of that giant fan. By 10 o'clock that night, everyone was in bed and the house was quiet. Aaron's parents were sleeping in Kate's double bed and Kate was in with Danny. I laid next to Aaron, trying not to move, even though there was a war raging in my abdomen. After an hour, I quietly slipped out of bed, clenching my teeth and gripping my stomach as I walked softly past my in-law's room. I went to the furthest corner of the house and exhaled loudly. <sighs> oh, owie! I squatted, bent over, stood up, stretched my back, twisted, jogged in place, anything to ease the pain. The hands of the clock ticked slowly past midnight. I tried curling into a ball on the carpet. Then I tried stretching out flat on my back. I sat on the couch with my head between my knees. I wrote pain words in my notebook. Ouch. Yikes. Snap. In big block letters. I drank water from the kitchen sink and used the sprayer to cool my face. I knelt on my knees and banged my head against the floor. In desperation, I opened the door and went outside. High in the sky, the moon laughed at me, pacing around the backyard wearing my pajamas. I tried sitting in the swing, which held my weight but groaned as I spun in circles, twisting the chain. I kicked at the sand with my bare feet. About 1.30 a.m., I gripped the safety bars of the slide. Ah! My hands turned white, my fingernails cut into my palms. I wiggled my forehead against the pole, grimacing and biting hard on my teeth. The contraction pulled long and hard. I think something opened up, I said to the family of quail who nested in the bushes. Maybe, ah! I arched my back. This contraction pulled longer and harder. When at last it eased, I rested my head against the slide and tried to catch my breath. Another tightening stretched and pulled. Oh, oh, that one really, 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 really hurts. The contraction pulled so tight it squeezed tears out of my eyes. Okay, 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 I'll go. I shouted at the cloud passing in front of the moon. 
I guess Aaron's parents will get to meet this baby after all. The hospital clock showed 2.25 a.m. when Dolores greeted us at triage. Aaron had thrown on jean shorts, a shirt, and sandals. His hairstyle was four-hour bedhead. His eyes still wanted to be closed in sleep. Has your water broken? Dolores asked. I shook my head. Let's get you onto a bed so we can monitor your contractions. Dolores fastened the straps around my midsection, turned on the machine, and left us alone. Aaron shifted right and left, struggling to find a comfortable sleeping position in the stiff hospital armchair. Laya perched at the top of my hospital bed. You look comfortable, unlike someone else here, she pointed to Aaron. You should have toughed it out until morning. Look how miserable your weakness makes your husband. While I stretched down on my back, propped up by pillows and covered with a blanket, Aaron tucked his feet under him and tried to sleep with one arm propped under his head on the back of the chair. I watched the lines on the monitor peak during contractions, then level off in between. A machine printed a graph of the contractions onto paper. When an hour passed, and I obviously hadn't had the baby yet, I was filled with regret. I could have let Aaron sleep longer. I chastised myself for not getting the timing right. I regretted waking Aaron and coming too soon. After 90 minutes, Dolores came back in the room, lifted the paper, and examined the graph. Aaron sat up and stretched his kinked shoulders. Dolores checked the straps on my belly. You are definitely in labor. Let's check your dilation. She opened a box of gloves. Are you allergic to latex? I shook my head. You're measuring five centimeters. We'll let you labor some more before calling the doctor. Do you want to stay in bed or walk around? Walk around, Aaron and I said together. Dolores unhooked the monitors. Aaron helped guide my feet into slippers and helped me off the bed. So, what do you want to talk about? He asked on our 15th lap around the nurse's station. We could see that I was the only patient. Every other room was open and empty. I think we're bothering Dolores, I said, tilting my head towards the desk. As long as we're out here, she can't play solitaire or sleep or call her boyfriend. Aaron nodded. By the way, Dolores, I asked as we passed our station again, who's the doctor on call tonight? I was hoping my doctor, Dr. Woods, would be on call, though I had seen a few other doctors from his practice. Dolores glanced at her schedule. It's Dr. Juarez. I've never heard of him. I looked at Aaron, feeling worried. He delivers most of our migrant patients, Dolores answered. I don't speak Spanish, I said. That's okay, Dolores responded. Ow is a universal language. I'd never considered that one of the five doctors from my practice wouldn't be on call over a holiday weekend. I did not want to be delivered by a complete stranger. Tired of the hallway, Aaron and I retreated to our room and paced like caged cats. I did not want to get strapped down to the bed again. It's 5 a.m., I said to Aaron. Why don't you lie on the bed and try to get some sleep? I'm going to try the jetted tub. I might as well get our money's worth. Those hospital tour guides were not exaggerating. The tub was indeed deep enough to entirely submerge a pregnant belly. I let my head drop back against the porcelain edge and closed my eyes while the warm water bubbled and massaged my raging muscles. Ah, oh, that feels so good. I fell in and out of sleep. A knock on the bathroom door woke me up. I'm Tina. I'm your nurse for this shift. You've been off the monitors for several hours. I need to hook you up and check you. Okay. 
I felt wonderful, relaxed, and soothed. While I toweled dry, I examined my protruding profile in the mirror. This is the largest my stomach would be. Well, baby, are you ready for this? I, I rubbed my stretched skin, wondering if in a few hours Danny and Kate would have a brother or a sister. While I was in the tub, Aaron had stayed in the hard chair. You could have gotten on the bed, I told him. He shook his head. That would have been weird. I climbed onto the bed and let Tina strap me down. After 20 minutes, the monitor had not registered a spike or a flicker. Tina readjusted the straps. Are you feeling contractions? She asked. Not since getting into the tub. Tina checked my dilation. You're still a five. You've moved maybe one-eighth of an inch. Before I sunk into that tub, I had been in full, hard, breathe-through-the-contractions kind of labor. Now I had the relaxed, jiggly stomach of a sumo wrestler. That was good. I could wait one more day and come back tomorrow when Dr. Woods would be on call. I'm so sorry to disrupt your peaceful night, I said to Tina. I sat up searching to undo the Velcro on the straps. It's so hard for me to know when it's the real thing. I turned and hung my feet off the bed. Aaron, honey, will you hand me my shoes, please? Tina, you have been marvelous. Thanks for everything. I guess we'll go home. Then Tina explained that hospitals have policies. Because you're dilated to a five, I can't release you without a doctor's signature. I'm the only woman here on Easter Sunday. I hate for Dr. Juarez to make a special trip in for someone who isn't even his own patient. I'm okay. I can come back tomorrow when my regular doctor is in. Tina shook her head. I looked at Aaron. He shrugged. You don't have to stay on the monitors if they are uncomfortable, Tina offered. Just let me know if you start contracting again. She left the room and closed the door. I sat on the bed staring at the floor. My stomach was peaceful. I wanted to go home. I wanted to go to church with my in-laws, celebrate Easter Sunday with my family. I didn't want to be stuck in this room like a hospital prisoner. Slowly, I turned my head to look at Aaron through the corner of my eye. I knew he was miserable. In the six years that we had been married, Aaron had never once watched a movie in a theater. He could not sit in one place for two hours. And now, because of me, we were locked in an eight-by-eight room. A clicking sound got my attention. Laia was standing in front of me, tapping the toe of her dress shoe. It's humiliating that you can't tell the difference between real and false labor. Your poor husband. Look what an ordeal you put him through. You should have been stronger. You should have toughed it out through the night. Now he's stuck in a hospital and there's not even a baby coming. I swung my feet back onto the bed. You can go home, I said to Aaron. There's nothing for you to do here but wait. I'm not going home, Aaron said. He crossed his leg over his knee and steepled his fingers. Let's wait for the doctor. Do you want to watch a movie? Aaron walked out to the nurse's station and returned with a shrug. They don't have any DVDs. The tour guide might have mentioned to bring our own movies. At two o'clock this morning when I was hunched over in the passenger seat, I hadn't thought to stop by Blockbuster. Aaron clicked through the selection of Sunday morning programming. Our options were televised evangelism or televised golf. When Dr. Juarez wandered in about 3 o'clock that afternoon, my status had not changed. 
His tongue was blue like he'd been licking those robin egg Easter candies, and he didn't look happy. I'm so sorry you had to come to the hospital, I apologized to Dr. Juarez. I tried to convince Tina to let me leave, but she insisted on a doctor's signature. Anyway, thanks for signing the release forms. Now we can all go home and we'll forget the whole thing ever happened. Dr. Juarez glared at me. He gave me a look that said, I did not drive all the way into town to turn back around. I am going to deliver a baby and make some money today. Then, practicing good medical school diplomacy, he said, I can send you home, but you'll be back tonight and I will still be the doctor on call, or I can break your water now and you'll have a baby by five o'clock. I looked at Aaron, who said, You might as well while my parents are here to help with the kids. Me, I wanted to go home. Aaron wanted to get it done with. He didn't want to repeat the scenario again at midnight tonight. You are in labor, Dr. Juarez said. You've just stalled. Breaking your water will get you started again. Since Dr. Juarez was the one with the medical degree, and because I didn't want an angry, resentful doctor delivering my baby if I ended up back here at midnight, I agreed. I'd never had my water broken before. The nurse handed Dr. Juarez a tool which looked like a plastic crochet hook. Thank goodness he came all the way into the hospital to perform a procedure comparable to popping a balloon. If you hired someone to pop a balloon, you might pay them a nickel. Give the same effort a scientific name like amniotomy, and you can charge megabucks and make people wait for hours like caged canaries for you to do it. After Dr. Juarez popped my water balloon, he removed his surgical gown and gloves and left the hospital. I guess since he'd come all the way into town, he had some shopping to do. In the meantime, I got an epidural that nearly paralyzed me for life. The anesthesiologist inserted, pulled out, and reinserted the epidural needle four times. You're so skinny, he said, there's no fat to stick the needle into. I didn't think this was a good time to comment on my boniness. Aaron fled to the furthest corner of the room and hid his face in his hands, peeking occasionally through his fingers to see if I was dead yet. Suddenly, with a five-inch needle searching its way around my spinal nervous system, I felt my entire abdominal area expand, like someone had opened an umbrella inside my pelvic bones. At that moment, everything on the inside of me urgently wanted to get outside of me. Oh, never mind the epidural, I said grimacing. This baby is coming now. Tina dropped on top of me, bracing my shoulders in the gentlest tackle ever administered. Do not move, she said. You have to hold completely still. Oh, stop the epidural, I can feel the baby coming. Too late to stop now. The anesthesiologist was not going to let this bony specimen get the best of him. I'm almost finished. Ah! Call the doctor, Tina shouted to the hallway. She couldn't make the call because she was holding me in a half Nelson. Hold still, he's almost done. After an eternity, the anesthesiologist removed the needle and taped the tubing against my back. Tina rolled me gently. I winced as the epidural rubbed against the sheets. Ah! More opening and ouch! Something hard and round trying to squeeze through a hole ten times too small. I can feel the baby's head! Don't push. We have to wait for the doctor, Tina ordered. Seriously? Not with waiting for the doctor again. Lay on your side, Tina helped me roll back. This will sound strange, but if you curl into a fetal position, it will help relieve the pressure. 
I tucked my legs up to my big belly, pretending the lower half of my body was not attached to the upper half. Does no one believe me? I really have to push! Everyone in the room, except the anesthesiologist who'd disappeared faster than a Cub Scout who'd broken the cookie jar, screamed in chorus, Don't push! This included Aaron. Whose side was he on anyway? Telling a woman who has the burning need not to push is like exploding Hoover Dam and telling the water to stay put. Lay on your side, Tina rubbed my back. Be strong. Keep your legs together. She should have told me that nine months ago. We don't need the doctor, I pleaded. I trust you, Tina. You deliver this baby. I was thrashing around on the sheets. No, no, they don't like us to do that. She patted my head gently. You can hold on. He's on his way. Tina put her hand over my ear and screamed, Did anyone get through to the doctor? Was anybody even out in that hall? Finally, a desk clerk or maybe a janitor poked his head in the door. He says he's checking out at Walmart and will be here in ten minutes. Walmart? No one ever checks out of Walmart in ten minutes. Aaron, honey, I looked up grimacing. I needed to push more than I had ever needed to do anything in my entire life. One push and this baby is here. You catch it. I trust you. Aaron backed towards the corner again, waving his hands in front as he retreated. No, no, no. Wait for the doctor. Remember to breathe, Tina encouraged. I inhaled and sighed as the epidural medication kicked in. The doctors on the elevator, the janitor or clerk, stood in the door holding a phone. Tina opened a cupboard and grabbed a surgical gown and gloves. The janitor slash clerk helped Tina stretch out the gown like a ribbon across the finish line. He's on the floor. Get ready. And in five, four, three, two, the door swung open and Dr. Juarez walked into the gown and gloves, crouched down, looked side to side, and yelled, Go! I guess that was my signal to snap the ball, but I couldn't believe what I'd just seen. Did Dr. Juarez bypass the sink? What happened to official scrub-in policy? I didn't even let my own husband touch me if he hadn't washed his hands after shopping at Walmart. If I weren't such a lily-livered coward intimidated by his medical degree, I would have asked him to turn back and scrub. With soap. Instead, I stared. Go ahead, push. Dr. Juarez ordered. I had just mastered not pushing, and now he wanted me to push? Having a baby can really give a girl schizophrenia. I felt strangely floaty and heavy at the same time, like a concrete cloud. I gave a wimpy push. No, wait for a contraction. Push during the contractions. Dr. Juarez rolled his eyes like I was the biggest idiot excuse of a delivering mother he had ever seen. I can't feel when I'm having contractions, I said. My abdomen was still and peaceful as a glass lake. The epidural was working and I had found my happy place. I'll tell you when you're having a contraction. Dr. Juarez watched the monitor. Now, push! I am pushing. Push harder. Come on, put some determination into it. My determination skipped town about the time I realized we hadn't brought any DVDs. Ten minutes earlier, I could have sneezed the baby out. Instead, we endured 55 minutes of everyone yelling at me to push harder and me shouting back, I am pushing, 
I think. I can't really tell. Will I ever be able to feel my legs again? A head and shoulders appeared just before five o'clock. Dr. Juarez declared the delivery time with unspoken emphasis that he had predicted exactly the time of birth. He was also gloating in the fact that he had broken his own record for longest episiotomy. He stood up from stitching, and I imagined that I looked like a kindergarten class's first patchwork quilt project. At this point, when one would expect a hearty congratulations, Dr. Juarez said, The nurse will give you the information for direct deposit to my bank account. Holidays are double time. Then he looked in the mirror, wiped blue powder off his mouth, and disappeared into the hall. The epidural had been stronger than Schwarzenegger on steroids. My legs were cinder blocks. Aaron helped to hold the baby on my chest. Hello there, little man. I traced the shape of his nose and cheeks while he blinked his eyes. Welcome to this big, wide world. I'm so happy you made it here. On Monday morning, the noise of hustle and bustle in the hallway woke me up. What is going on out there? I asked the new nurse. We have checked in 14 patients in the last half hour. She hurried through my vitals, no time to chit-chat. I'm glad I got here early to get a room, I said. We're running out of rooms. She scribbled on my chart and called as she left the room. We might have to move you to a surgical floor. Lia stood at the foot of the bed, admiring her manicure. Aaron wishes you were stronger, like those women. They all toughed out their Easter weekend. Lia flipped my chart over and wrote my delivery evaluation on the back. She docked points for delivering three weeks early, for not knowing real from false labor, for getting Aaron out of bed in the night, for making him waste a beautiful Easter Sunday cooped up in a hospital room. She also docked points because I consented to get an epidural, for having to have such a long episiotomy, and for getting delivered by a strange doctor. She turned the clipboard around so I could see my grade. Written in red ink, a large C-plus sat in the middle of the paper. This is Malia Warner. Thank you for listening to Lies of the Magpie. Have a great week. Stay well, my friends.